0: So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word.
1: Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You know what that is? It means ad infinitum. Now, I know we take that verse out of its context and we just apply it individually, but it goes with the preceding passage. (laughs) It goes right there with what Jesus just talks about, how we reconcile with others, how we deal with our grievances with others. But at the end, the real end that Jesus wants is forgiveness. He wants forgiveness. And that's how we're to behave, not in the backdoor manner like the Pharisees are doing or these hypocritical religious leaders they're doing. Yet oftentimes this is exactly what happens. God's people act more like these religious hypocrites than they do, than they realize. May it never be said of us here. May it never be said of us. And I'm just going to tell you on a personal note, I didn't say it up front. And sometimes when a pastor goes off on like this, people think in the back of their minds, I wonder if there's something going on. You know, look, you know, I can tell you that I am really proud of this congregation. I've been here now for 19 years. And I can tell you over that 19 years, we we have dealt very little with this kind of stuff. We really have. That doesn't mean people haven't had grievances. We've had people with grievances then you know what? We've handled them amicably. In some cases, those people have moved on, and because of those grievances, we couldn't get to the place. We agreed to disagree, but that disagreement was too much, and they moved on, and that's okay. But, but we, we've had very few cases where it turned into backbiting and divisiveness and this faction against that faction and allies being built against those. You see, I've rarely seen anybody do this kind of stuff. I've rarely seen them do it with each other in this congregation, and I'm really proud of that. Because a lot of times it's got nothing to do with leadership. It's got all to do with the individual believers amongst themselves. And I've seen very little of this backbiting and gossiping about believers between believers. I think it's because we've taught these scriptures this way. And people understand it. And you guys, you know, here, out there, <laughs> have seen it for what it is. And you've recognized it when people have come to you and tried to catch an ear, And you've turned it off for their sakes not just for your own, but for their sakes, to help them so that they don't go down a road that they should not go down. And it's corrected things and it's kept us together and it's enabled us to continue to move. And 19 years later, here we are. We're still here and we haven't been torn apart by all sorts of divisive things. May that continue well into the future, but it will only continue insofar as we are willing to yield ourselves to what God has asked of us in his word here. Don't be, what's the old expression, don't be like, you know, don't be like the Pharisees is mine. Don't be like the Pharisees doing these kinds of things. And so here, the stage is set. Jesus is at this party, and the self-righteous sin sniffers are watching from the wings and buzzing like bees in their complaints to the disciples about it all. And what is their chief complaint? It's simple. Why would Jesus be at something like this? Why would Jesus be at something like this? Why would a truly spiritual man of God associate himself with such people at such an event? <laughs> You see, in addition to simply wanting to find issue with Jesus, they are revealing their own thoughts about spirituality, what it is, what it looks like. But their view is not God's view. And and Jesus is clearly not meeting their view of spirituality because he is God in the flesh. Spirituality to them meant you didn't associate with sinners at all. You didn't do that because even the look of it would be bad spiritually it meant to them that you in no way involved yourself with sinners in anything that they're doing. Even if you're not actively participating in some sinful behavior with them in their spiritual reasoning, your very presence with sinners communicated approval of the sinful things that they were doing. It doesn't matter how pure your motives are or how righteous you're being, you know, or how important you feel it is to be with them. You become one of them by being with them in the things that they're doing. And in the process, you silently condone their sinful behavior through your presence. That's how these guys were thinking. And there's a lot of people who still think that way today. In their view, what you should be doing is separating yourself from these people, these kinds of people, separate yourself from them and do everything you can to draw attention to their shameful acts of sin that they're engaging in, shaming them for it, isolating them. You don't don't reach sinners by being with them. You reach sinners by setting yourself apart from them so that they can come to know how sinful they really are. And essentially, the view of the Pharisees, like the view of the religious people today, is that if sinners want to be accepted by the religious community, then they need to take steps to clean themselves up first and prove the sincerity of their desire to be spiritual. Then they can be accepted, you see. And so far as these guys were concerned, if Jesus was truly a spiritual man, he would have nothing to do with these sinful people. And if these sinful people truly wanted to be with a spiritual teacher like Jesus claims to be, then they would stop what they're doing first and clean up their act. And then, and only maybe then, only maybe then would they be worthy of his attention because that's how it would work with them, you see. But this isn't the view that Jesus holds. Look on, look. He, he expressed it to him first through his presence with these sinners, but now he's going to put it into words. Look what he says in verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now note carefully what Jesus is saying here, because it is so different from the view of the Pharisees and and the the, the self-righteous religious crowd who, who are still with us today. In this statement, Jesus makes two very simple but profound points. Point number one, he has come for the specific purpose of bringing a cure to the sinfully sick. That's why he came, to cure the sinfully sick. He even makes the contrast that it is to the sinfully sick that he has come, and not to those who are well. And now, now Jesus isn't saying, that, or even implying, that there are people who have no need of the cure which he's bringing. As God, he knows the truth that the Apostle Paul is later going to write in the, in the book of Romans, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no man, there is no woman that has ever been born into this world that has no need for the cure that Jesus came to offer. So Jesus knows this. But Jesus is simply relating to the Pharisees through their own spiritual warped logic that they're applying, how the Pharisees see themselves as spiritually superior, as spiritually healthy, and and they need no cure of sin they've already cured themselves from their sin and and they see people like Matthew and others like him as the ones who are really sinfully sick so Jesus is simply using their logic in his response to them and he's saying that okay if Matthew and the ones are the ones who need that are sick well then where would you expect me to be I'm going to go bring the cure to them they need the cure they're the ones that are sick I won't waste my time on the ones who are healthy you see and don't need a cure. It's not that Jesus didn't think they needed a cure, but they didn't think they needed a cure. Jesus said, I'm not going to waste my time on you. Second point, and I think it's an even more important point. If he, as a physician of the soul, which is what Jesus is really saying he is, a physician of the soul has has the cure for sickness, then why wouldn't he go to where the sick people are in order to help cure them? Why wouldn't he go to where they are in order to bring them the cure that they need? Why, why wouldn't he make house calls? Do you... Anybody remember the days when doctors did that? That was so cool. If you got sick, he came to your house, you know. I know that was back in the Stone Ages, but, you know, I remember it, so it makes me old, I guess. But why would Jesus waste his time hanging around with people who thought they were well and ignore going to the places where, that have, where the sick have gathered. Why would he do that? And that's exactly what he's doing by being at Matthew's house and at this party that Matthew is hosting, which has drawn a crowd of sinfully sick people. Think about this, not just Matthew, but Matthew's drawn a whole crowd of these people together. Jesus isn't there to participate or to condone their sinful behavior, but he's there because that's where the sick have gathered, and now he has the opportunity to reach them with the cure that they so desperately need, even according to the Pharisees. He has the medicine that that can reverse everything associated with their sin sickness, but he needs to be with them to ultimately make them aware of that so that they can receive the cure that they need. You know, today you and I we carry that cure that can make the sinfully sick well. Do you know that? We carry it. We don't, we don't, we are not the cure. <laughs> Jesus was the cure. The cure he was offering was himself. We can't offer ourselves as the cure, but we carry the cure, the medicine that sick, this sick, sin, sick world needs. We carry it. It's called the gospel. And we've been called to go and to preach the gospel. And we need to go where the sinfully sick world are, where they've gathered. If we want to see them made well, we can't expect them to come to us for the cure. Few are going to do that. You know that? Few are going to do that. Think about it. How many people have ever really come to faith in Christ because of the advertising we, we do about our churches? You know, how many see the sign for a church and, and they just were going to come in? I'm not saying that there aren't those that come, but by and large, they don't come in their sin sickness coming here for the cure. They don't do it. Or, or the big billboards we see, you know, about, you know, the gospel message. I'm not saying these things are wrong, but I'm just saying how many people have really come to faith in Christ because of those things. I mean, we live in an area where we see the little Mennonite signs out, and I'm not knocking the Mennonites, but we see these, you know, turn or burn kind of. How many people have come to Jesus because of those, for the cure that they need? And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do these things, but I am saying that it's fairly safe to say that few have received the cure that Jesus offers because of these things. And and when it comes to the church, and I, I want you to tune into this for a minute because this is important. I think there's a misconception about the purpose and the calling of this body we call the organized church. Not you, the church, but this collective as us together here and what we're doing right now the church was never intended to be the center for the cure it's not the church's primary mission to get people saved at least biblically it's not now before you start buzzing like bees (laughs) hear me out on this okay follow this scriptural logic, while we as the local organized body of Christ most certainly believe in the evangelistic aspects of, of church life, doing outreach, sharing the gospel with the lost, reaching out to the lost, we certainly believe those things and we engage in those things, but our primary mission as the organized church has never been these things, at least not directly, but instead it has been what Paul describes to us in Ephesians 4. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see it? Do you see it? The church is here to train up the saints. It's here to train you up as saved people, to equip you as believers for the work of ministry and edify you in the things that are needed in your life for spiritual health and spiritual growth as believers. And then... Now, here's where you're going to decide you're not going to string me up, okay? And then you, being trained up and equipped become the physician's assistants who the great physician Jesus can then use to take his cure to those who are sick with sin in this world. And then as you reach them with this cure, you will point them to us or to another solid Bible teaching church, and the same process begins with them. That's how it works. That's how it was always intended to work. And note in this sense, all of us, including me, <laughs> are being equipped to be the great physician's assistants to take the cure to the lost. But we can't do our jobs as the assistants to the great physician if we isolate ourselves from the sick and fully sick if we just sequester ourselves here in this fellowship of believers. We can't reach them with the cure if we stay within the walls of this little church or the flaps of the church tents outside or in our comfortable Christian circles like the Pharisees did, hoping that the sinfully sick will suddenly see the light and come to us. We need to take the cure to where they live. We need to go to them. We don't go there with the intent of becoming like them. We don't go there with the intent of participating in sinful things with them. We're not there to be influenced by them, but we're there to influence them. We don't go there to engage in the, 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 the things that their sinful sickness compels them to do, nor do we go there to send a subtle signal of approval for their sinful behavior to make them feel like what they're doing is okay? But we go there because that's where they've gathered. It's where they gathered. And by the way, the idea that our being around sinfully sick people who are by nature doing sinfully sick things means we're inadvertently supporting and giving approval to the things they're doing is just pharisaical nonsense. It's pharisaical nonsense. It's like saying that just because I spend my time with someone who smokes a cigarette, that it means that I am giving my approval of and, and, and subtly endorsing smoking. That's crazy pharisaical nonsense. Now, there are clearly things that we cannot and should not be around. We should not be around, you know, spending time with unbelievers who are doing illegal or completely immoral things. Nor should we be around those who are doing things that might still have a sinful attraction in our own lives to which we might easily be drawn back to ourselves. For example, I've been in homes with unbelievers who've cracked open a can of beer in front of me, you know, and then offered me one. And and I just, hey, I don't drink, you know, but they'll drink it in front of me and I don't react to that. It doesn't trouble me because that's not the issue. I'm not there about the fact that they're taking a drink, but I can tell you this. If I were a former alcoholic, I couldn't put myself in that position. I couldn't be there around them because it would present a temptation to me that could ultimately cause me to fall. But at the same time, not everything falls into those categories of extremes, and yet so many Christians respond like everything does. Like if they're doing anything that I don't approve of, that I can't be around them because I'm subtly giving my approval of what they're doing. And like the Pharisees, they use it as an excuse to shelter themselves from the very people who need the cure that Jesus has entrusted to them to go and take to them and to offer to them. One other thing to remember, the, sinfully, the, the sinful things that unsaved people do are nothing more than the symptom. Of their sinful disease that they carry their condition of sin that that they were born with into this world just like we were born into this world with that same condition but we've received the cure from it they've not been cured yet and so there are all these behaviors these symptoms that still flow from that and we need to remember that otherwise the behaviors will become our focus and not the real need not the real need that will change those behaviors And that's the changed heart. Like Jesus, we need to be where sinfully sick people are and not withdraw ourselves from them. Scripture has never called us for us to do such a thing. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, because it's clear. Here's what Paul writes. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Boy, it doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? It's interesting. The ones he tells us to avoid are the people who've had the cure and yet they choose to continue on in their sin. It's a completely different issue. He's saying, hey, those are the ones we shouldn't be hanging out with because what they're doing is they're giving a false presentation of spirituality that's false, it's untrue, and that's wrong. But for the unbeliever, he's saying, hey, you can't, I'm not talking about them. If you did, you'd have to take yourself out of the world, and we've been sent into the world to reach them with the cure that we all have experienced in our own life, which is the good news of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. I hope this is making sense to you guys. We hold that cure in our hands. We have it. Jesus has placed it there just like He broke the bread and put it in the hands of the disciples to feed the people. He has put the cure right into our hands. He did it, and now He gives it to us, and He says, I want you to go. And we have the ability to go and to offer that cure to people who need it, but how will they know about that cure and have confidence that it can help unless we engage them through personal relationships? How will it ever happen without that? They need to know about the cure. But even more than that, they also need to know that the person offering them that cure is both trustworthy and reliable, and that comes through relationships. They can't know that if we're offering them the cure at a distance or waiting for them to come to us. We're going to close on this this morning, but I want to just share, just in closing, just my own experience with this over the years. You know, I don't... um, I look back and I'm I'm certainly not critical of everything in Christianity. Please know that. Please know that. But, you know, I I remember when I was stationed in the Midwest as a captain and I was in a a small detachment. I was on a university campus as an ROTC instructor for the Army ROTC program. And there was, at the time, there were no believers except me in that department. And um, they they would gather every Friday. They'd go down to the local pub downtown. It was a an eat-in place, but it also had a bar in it. And they'd go down there for happy hour every Friday. And I, that, that's not my thing, <laughs> you know. It's just not my thing. I don't go hang out in the places. I just never did, you know. And along the way... I began to sense with the folks in, that I was working with, and some it was my own making because of some attitudes I'd held about some of the sinful things they were doing and the way I conveyed it to them, but I really separated myself from them in a way that was really uncomfortable. And they began to look on me, and in fact, when they would go, they'd say, well, we'd ask you to go, but we know you'd never do that, you know? You wouldn't want to be around us sinners. And they, they went. And I just had a real conviction from the Lord that I needed to go. I needed to go, but how did I reconcile it? I was heads of a men's ministry at our church, and, you know, I had a good spiritual reputation with people. How could I go do that? So I sat down with my pastor at my church, and I said to him, you know, I just have a sense from the Lord that I need to go with them. I said, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there to drink. I I don't want to make that my regular practice because it's just not in my DNA to do that. I said, but there's just something in my heart that the Lord's telling me I need to do that to bridge the gap with these folks. That's important. And he looked at me and he said something that I will never forget. He said, you know, Randy, he said, you're way too worried about what that will convey about you or that you may be condoning something. And he said, I think you need to be less concerned about that. He said, the real question is, what's the Lord asking you to do? And he said, you need to be obedient to that. And the rest of us know you well enough and we know your walk to know what you believe and what your convictions are. And we would never think less of you for that. Do what the Lord has put on your heart. There was such a freedom in that. And I went back the next time they were teasing, but yeah, we're going down, but you know, they do that every week, but we're not going to ask you because we know you won't go. I said, well, wait, what time are you guys going to be there? So at four o'clock, I said, I'll come down and drink soda with you guys. And they were stunned. They were just totally stunned. I went with them. I ate a couple of peanuts and chatted with them a little bit and drank my soda. And then I, I left. It's interesting because there were a number of salvations that began to happen after that. In that department, I saw guys... Come to faith in Christ. I can't tell you it was that event, but I can tell you that the Lord truly had sent me with a cure and it opened the door for conversations with them. I didn't have to participate in their sin. I didn't even have to condone their sin in any way, shape, or form. You know, and they weren't doing anything sinful. They're just doing what people do. You know, yeah, they were going to get drunk. And that's pretty sinful. And I wasn't around when they were getting drunk, I left. You know? But it was important to build that bridge. Did I do it the following week? No. And you know what the interesting thing is? They didn't ask me the following week. They never asked me again. And there was not like, we're not going to ask you, it just blew them away so much. That one moment made all the difference in the world that Jesus was present, not me, but that Jesus was present with the sinners in that place. And they knew that. And it silenced them for a moment. It silenced them and some came to Christ. Now look, I'm not telling you, you need to run down to the local bar. I would never do that nor would I even suggest you should do that. I'm just saying be obedient to the Lord. If he's telling you, you know what, Matthew, the tax collector, has a gathering of people and I want you there with them, don't let the religious, the, the, the spiritual self-righteous, convince you that that would be wrong for you to do. If the Lord has put on your heart that that's where you need to be, but remember this, you're not there to be influenced by them. You're there to bring Jesus's cure and to influence them. With that cure, that's what you're there for. Use it strategically. Use it as as the Lord would lead you. Also, friendships. You know, I would encourage you this. My circle of friends, th- those that I'm uh, I'm intimately in relationship with with people, are Christians. That's where I find my refreshment is with Christians. But I have friends who are not Christians. I have friends who are not Christians, and I spend time with those people, whether communicating with them online or talking to them on the phone or meeting with them. I have friends who are not Christians, and they're truly friends. There's no question about it. I don't draw anything from them for my life, but I go there to share my life with them. And it is amazing how the Lord uses that. May he do that with all of our lives. Jesus ate with these sinfully sick people, even though the Pharisees thought it would be wrong, and they would never do such a thing. I would never do such a thing. Jesus is making a grand statement here. I don't think like you think. And I don't act like you act. But I am far more righteous than you will ever be. And apart from me, you will never find righteousness. You see? And I hope that makes sense to you guys. And I hope I haven't offended anybody here today in the sanctuary or online with these views. But I got to be honest with you. I think we bought into things in our Christian beliefs that have been levied on us in a lot of ways by pharisaical teachings. It's not a license to go sin. In fact, the truth is we're not even gonna feel the need to go sin because we've been changed. We've been set free, but we have been called to go.